0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: EJ, we have talked about roughly 90% of the actually more than 90 percent we only have one more team after this one 97 percent of the league at this point and yet i don't think that there will be a more confusing team that we have to break down in this entire series than the arizona cardinals i have no idea what to expect from them like if two-face was an nfl team it would be the cardinals because not just from first half to second half, or from month to month or week to week, game to game, quarter to quarter, you never know what you're going to get. They can either be the best team in the league or they cannot buy a win. Not only that, their coaching staff is... I I don't really know who does what at this point because there's just so many of them. It's like the the anti-Patriots where we don't know who does what uh, because there's only like four people in the building. Like the Niners that we talked about yesterday who have a lot of coaches and we couldn't figure out what their process is. The Cardinals amped that up to 11. Not only that, we don't even know who's going to be on the field week one because we know that their star receiver suspended. The other one, as of today, might get suspended too because he just got arrested literally the day we're recording this. And oh, by the way, he's coming off an injury as well. The quarterback the most bizarre drama out of all the quarterback drama this off season. And that includes the Packer drama. I don't even know what to make of that about a, a contract clause that has never been used before in NFL history. And it was there for a total of like 48 hours. And then everybody decided it was the stupidest thing ever and retroactively removed it from a contract that was already signed. I, I don't know. This team is both great And also just fucking weird, and I can't quite tell what we're going to get this year between the great Cardinals or the fucking weird Cardinals that won't get out of their own way. I am at a complete loss for words. Technically,
0: I have a solution. What's that? Technically, alcohol, chemically, is a solution. (laughs) So The cause of is, and
1: solution to all of life's problems,
0: Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's a solution to any problems, but technically it's a solution, which is kind of like the Cardinals. Technically, they're a really good football team, but not all the time. So this is Elliott Bay Brewing's boat beer because, ah, screw it, I'm on a boat at this point. We got one team left after this. But no, Steve Keim uh, is probably the weirdest roster builder in the NFL, and I think that just sort of filters down, trickles down, trickle down economics to the rest of the team. And you end up with some really strange situations about where players are going to play, like on the field, which position, if you really want to talk nuts and bolts football, you get some very odd drama. As you mentioned, um, I was on uh mad dog radio this weekend and they led with that. They're like, Basically, tell me what the hell is going on with this. Have you ever seen it before? And my answer was very truthfully, no, I've never seen anything like this before. I can't tell you about precedent, but it's an odd situation and it had a very odd ending. And, you know, this team has had some pretty odd endings on the field and uh, in conference. We both thought we would be recording them yesterday because in the taste left in our mouth from the end of last season we thought they were the third team in this division turns out no no (laughs) they were the second team in this division so they're not just confusing bad you know that's a pretty good finish in a very competitive division they're just confusing all over the place like you said you don't know from game to game from year to year from season to season what you're gonna get and that makes them both interesting and if you're a Cardinals fan I'm sure incredibly frustrating
1: Supposedly, that uh, four-hour extra study clause came directly from Bidwell, the owner, which kind of makes sense because that's just that's such an owner thing to do, which is to listen to too much talk radio and get convinced that your quarterback, who was like a legitimate MVP front runner for the first half of last year, like just doesn't study film. Like, no, you don't. You don't go first overall in the draft and you know become a 46 million dollar a year quarterback if you just don't study that's not even possible so it was a dumb clause to begin with i'm (laughs) happy they took it out uh but it never should have been in there in the first place and it was just confusing like why why would you even put that in the contract if you're so confident in this guy that you're going to give him 46 million in the first place why are you even hedging like that in the contract it's just it's a it's a dumb thing to do this is a whole 30 for
0: 30 episode probably five years from now it is gonna come out in the wash here's the most interesting take on what we know that i've heard to this point this one came from nate tice who we both talked to and uh met him at shrine bowl nate was like so however the clause gets in there it gets in there and i think you know the ownership bent on where it originated is is not a bad one but it gets in there and so kyler's team is negotiating with the cardinals and they basically say what the hell is this and it was probably bigger probably wasn't four hours because you wouldn't put it in at four hours like probably said quarterback must spend 16 hours a week watching film or whatever and they were like this is weird they went back and forth and they went we'll only sign this if you put it down to like four hours which then looks really dumb because why? Right? Yeah, four it's hours like half hour a day. <laughs> right? It's stupid. You you spend way more time than that doing it, anyways. So they negotiate it down. This is Nate's theory that they Kyler's team negotiates it down to four hours, and then it looks dumb. But the owner wanted it in there. It's in there. They sign it. The whole thing. Then they release it. Kyler's team releases it and goes. This is the weirdest thing ever, right? Four hours, our quarterback spends way more than that. And the Arizona Cardinals end up with egg on their face because they end up looking dumb. And then they have to remove it because there's all this outcry. Talk radio, as you said, gets a hold of it. It explodes. And then they get it removed entirely. So they negotiate it down so it looks dumb. Then they say, they leak it and say, look, this is dumb. And then they have to pull it. And they're like, ha, we got that
1: out of there. And I was like, I mean, it worked. I was like, touche, <laughs> Nate. I think that's a really good theory. Whether because there's been no way the not. Cardinals are leaking it. The Cardinals are not putting that out to the media.
0: No, because they would look awful. So I actually thought Nate's take on it was was a good one. Um, and you know, either way, one of like you said, the strangest things we've seen in the NFL period, but certainly in the sort of quarterback dramas, this one is out
1: there. It, it's it. One of the weirdest, easily, yeah. And that this is coming off the same off season where Aaron Rodgers is going on like ayahuasca retreats in the desert and getting astrology tattoos and yeah. This was up there. This was up there. But uh, yeah. Overall, again, very talented team. We don't want to sound like this is just a negative episode. Like we Mm-mm. we think very highly of them. They're absolutely a playoff caliber team. They're just they're just weird in so they many ways. They are odd. And that brings us to our little 2021 recap, recapping a very weird season of 2021 that got us to where we're at today. They finished 11 and 6, but remember they started as a dominant force. I believe it was like 8 and 1 up to the up through that Packers game that they lost also speaking of weird inexplicable losses, that one. Um I think they they started out eight and one and then somehow ended up at eleven and six. They completely fell apart in the back half of the year. Obviously, the DeAndre Hopkins injury was a heavy factor in that because the offense pre Hopkins or with Hopkins and without Hopkins are two very different things. Uh, so they did kind of get beat up towards the back half of the year. Obviously, JJ Watt got hurt as well. Like durability was a concern, but the team itself got figured out once defenses kind of looked at the heat map and they kind of, they saw that it was virtually the same as Russell Wilson of like, Oh man, they just don't work the middle of the field. It's all boundary throws and maybe like deep middle on posts and stuff like that. And deep crosses. Once defense has figured out that they are just going to work the boundaries just like Russell Wilson did in Seattle. They started playing Kyler the same way that people play against Russ in terms of, you know, forcing him uh, not, how do I describe this without using diagrams? So like when you watch people rush Russ, rush, the, the edges go super wide and force him to step up because he doesn't want to step up. That's when he loses vision on throwing lanes because he's shorter. People started doing the same thing to Kyler, which is kind of al- almost like overplaying the contain rush and going super wide and then working stunts up front to force him to run up the middle. Because once he's running up the middle, A, he's not throwing, and as dangerous as Kyler is with his legs, we'd rather him run than throw. There's going to be less chance of a chunk play. And B, traditionally, Kyler, because he doesn't want to take hits, because durability is a concern with him when he does get hit, if you can just kind of get him surrounded by bodies and get people behind his eye line, the odds go up that he's just going to Take the sack. Because again, he's always going to try to get down early, protect the ball. He doesn't break as many crazy sacks as Russ does, because he's 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 going to preserve his body. Now, now that he's paid, maybe he'll be a little bit more reckless, but who knows? I, I think it's just always been in Kyler that when people get behind his eye line, if there's not an immediate lane up front, he's going down. And so once teams figured out that He has the same vision problems of Russ, and he has the same um, tendencies in terms of where he likes to attack the field as Russ. They played him the same way as Russ. But the problem is he's not as good as Russ (laughs) in terms of still being able to beat you even when people know what's coming. Very talented quarterback, great arm, very accurate, all that kind of stuff. Makes some absolutely incredible plays. But teams have had the book on how to play against this style of quarterback for a long time now. And as good as Kyler is, he's still not Russell Wilson. He's still not going to overcome as often a team that has the book on him. And so I think in the back half of the year, people saw how static the offense was. They were not really moving receivers around. They learned how to rush Kyler to get him to just, Take sacks that a lot of other quarterbacks wouldn't, uh, and they figured out that he's not going to, you know, work the middle of the field. So don't commit resources to work in the middle of the field. You can flur out your linebackers and have them, you know, take the number three up the seam. Like you don't really need to have a rat in the middle because he's not going to work there anyway. So people were calling coverages specifically to attack what Kyler likes to do, and Kyler just couldn't overcome it. Now. All that being said, I know that sounds negative. Would I still pay him that much money to be my franchise quarterback? Yeah, because what else are you going to do? You still need him. He's still valuable. You're not going to get anybody better. But I think that the Cardinals really, this offseason, needed to go back to the drawing board and figure out how to overcome defenses that know exactly what they're going to do. And I think it remains to be seen if they've done that, we, we might not find out until October or November if they have changed things to accommodate or to, yeah, to to accommodate for the fact that defenses know exactly what they're getting every time Arizona steps on the field.
0: Two things. Hmm. First thing, I'm not going to put it all on Kyler's head because this is Cliff Kingsbury's M.O. He falling is... apart in the second half. <laughs> dead cold in the second half and always has been college coach pro coach like this is not a new trend for cliff this is the book on cliff if there is a book on cliff is real hot in the first half absolutely lifeless in the second half and it has always been the case so he's gonna have to overcome that as well that's the first point the second point What you said about the offense being static. I saw this one today and thought, oh boy, that's perfect. We're talking about the Cardinals tonight. Doug Farrar, who writes for Touchdown Wire over at USA Today. For the third straight season, the Cardinals ranked in the bottom third percentage of pre-snap motion, so literally static, and in the top third of offensive
1: efficiency when using it. As in when they use motion, they're great, but they just don't use motion. So when they use motion,
0: they're awesome. They're in the top third of NFL teams, but they use it less
1: than two thirds of other NFL teams. You see what we mean when we say that this is a confusing team that makes no sense? They can be so good and they just won't. They they choose other things. And I thought that was perfect.
0: I was like, no, when they do it, when they are literally not static, when they move pre-snap, their results are very good, better than 20-something other teams, but they do it less than 20 something other teams makes no sense at all so they're going to have to come up with uh, if we're going to use a baseball analogy like a third pitch right Kyler to the outside is their fastball they've got you know Kyler runs and a pretty good running game we'll talk about that as well a creative running game that's their you know curveball their second pitch whatever it is they need that third pitch so that when somebody has figured out yep okay i can hit the curveball i'm gonna make you throw that fastball okay no we're gonna we're gonna shade you just like we do russell wilson so your fastball's not there and we're pretty sure we got your curveball you gotta come up with something else for the second half of the season for teams that are already playing you like that out of the gate they just need to develop and cliff historically hasn't been able to do that i want to see if he can
1: i will say to their credit we've seen some tweets that deandre hopkins has lined up in the slot a lot during training camp which he pretty much never did previously it was he is the boundary receiver on the left side that is his spot he's not moving you compare that to when you know d hop was in houston he lined up everywhere cliff just didn't didn't really do that in training camp so far it seems like they have kind of moved him around more which we love to see but He's going to be suspended for the first six weeks of the season. So we won't even see that in action or see how often they move him around in a real game scenario until mid-October anyway. So again, this team is just weird. Oh, and by the way, Hollywood Brown this morning uh, arrested for driving 126 miles an hour, I, I think is what the, the report was. Everybody which... said he was fast. God damn it. God damn it, <laughs> uh, I I mean, it's... It's not common to see a player suspended for speeding, but at the same time, uh, I mean, 126 miles an hour seems egregious. And you also don't see people get arrested for speeding that often, but this was like literally criminal speeding. There was like three laws that were violated on it. So whether or not that rises to the standard of being suspended by the league, maybe. Maybe. We might not find out for a while, but there's a realistic scenario where if the league decides to go after a suspension for, again, it would not be six games like D-Hop. But there's a realistic scenario where at some point in the first six weeks of the season, their number one receiver is A.J. Green and their number two is Rondale Moore. And actually, maybe Zach Ertz would be the number one in that that case, (laughs) but that's the realistic scenario we're talking about here because Cardinals are just weird like that. Now, I do want to talk about the structure at the top. Speaking of weird things, we've alluded to it over and over again. The amount of people at the, the tip of the spear for this organization, you know, the top layer, coordinator and up, has got to be the most in the league by a lot, actually. Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury are the GM and head coach combo. We've talked about them for many years at this point. Kime's been there for 24 years with the organization, worked his way up from the bottom, 10th year as GM. Cliff's been there for four years now at head coach, but there are one, two, three, four, five, six coaches that are either at the coordinator level or above. There's Jeff Rogers in his fifth year with the team, who's the assistant head coach and special teams coordinator. They have an associate head coach, not assistant head coach, associate head coach slash wide receivers coach, Sean Jefferson, first uh, first year with those titles. He's not listed as a coordinator, but again, associate head coach we think is the same level as assistant head coach. I, honestly, we have no idea what the difference is, but we have to list it. They have a run game coordinator slash offensive line coach, which seems to be more common these days of having your offensive line coach also be the run game coordinator. That is Sean Kugler. Very good at it, by the way. I love the Cardinals run game. He's awesome. Uh, and then Cam Turner is in his fifth year with the organization. He is the co Pass game coordinator (laughs) slash quarterbacks coach. Okay, hold up. Keep in mind, (laughs) I I got I got to list off all of his different titles. By the way, this is the one that kills me. Like
0: so far, like you said, I can't actually. I can't think of any other team that has both an assistant and associate head coach. A lot of teams now have an assistant head coach title and that's to basically elevate an assistant so they can keep them or draw them away from another team with a with a similar title they can add the assistant head coach title so that's really common i don't know of another team that has assistant and associate run game coordinator ol coach yep that's real common pass game coordinator yep totally common co pass game coordinators nope nobody's got that (laughs) i'm like all right just make a decision just pick one like it used to just be oc now it's a run game coordinator and we get down to pass game coordinator we can't just have run and pass we gotta have run and co-pass
1: but does this mean that does this mean that he can't interview for other coordinator positions around the league because it's a lateral move is that why they're doing this i have no No idea idea. (laughs) back to the weird thing Cam Turner specifically, by the way, here are all of his titles that he's had in five years. So he gets to the Cardinals in 2018, offensive assistant. 2019, he's offensive assistant and assistant quarterbacks coach. 2020, offensive assistant and assistant quarterbacks coach again, then just quarterbacks coach in 2021, then in 2022, the co-pass game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. He's shifted titles basically every single year since he's got there. And I mean, I assume he's been doing the same work just with a different title, because how do you have two co-pass game coordinators where one specializes in quarterback and then Spencer Whipple, who's in the past, he's been a wide receiver coach. I assume that he specializes on the receiver and tight end side of things, but who's actually calling the pass play? Is it Cliff? Like, are they just doing in a game plan capacity and and then Cliff actually calls it? No idea. I've just I've never I've never seen this like run game coordinators. That's common enough where we know like the coach will be like, give me a run play for third and four from the 40 based on their tendency study and and they'll do it. Cam or Sean Kugler will do that. I just don't know what to make of having. I mean, if we include Cliff three pass game coordinators, because that's. That's kind of Cliff's thing. Like He's an offensive coach that's called his own offenses for years. I don't know. Cardinals are weird. At least on defense, it's pretty easy. Like, (laughs) Vance Joseph is the DC, and he's it. I'm going to say, I'm not wild about the bias
0: here, and the bias is towards offense. On offense, we have one, two, three, four guys, plus Cliff, who, as you said, has been heavily involved in the offense.
1: Actually, it's five. Right. Fine. Because <laughs> both the assistant head coach and the associate head coach are both involved in the offense. But Jeff Rogers is a special teams coach. I thought he was special teams and... Oh, no. I th- okay. See, this is why it's so fucking confusing. I, know. I thought he was special teams and tight ends, but he's just special teams. So you got okay. like five, six guys involved
0: on offense with all these fancy titles and all this micro slicing of who's responsible for what. And then they're just like, hey, Vance, defense. <laughs> Just you just do the do the defense thing, the whole thing. He's like, "Do I get any like special assistant head coaches?" And they're like, "No." He's like, "Do I get any co-run game defensive coordinators?" And they're like, "No, no, no, Vance, that's cute. Just do the defense, right?" This is very biased towards offense, and I get that, but I I just got to speak up for Vance because I'm like, there's all these guys for on offense, and then Vance defense, and you're like. All right, I
1: like the simplicity, but come on, let him, let him hyper-specialize. The rest of you do. Uh, their assistant coaching layer underneath their million coordinators, also pretty interesting, a lot of experience there. Uh, the first name that really stuck out to me, uh, Steve Hayden. Long time, long time tight end, played in the league. Uh, 11 years in the league, Chargers and the Browns. But, I mean, other than him, there's a whole bunch of assistants on that list that, yeah, I mean, 15 20 sometimes 30 years of experience they got a lot of dudes there that have been around for a long time
0: yeah notable coaches the thing that sticks out you nailed it is experience like long-term tenure and this thing about steve Hayden is he's one of the longest this says this on their website one of the longest tenured assistant coaches in team history and the cardinals have a lot of team history um james saxon their running back coach 22 years of experience in the nfl as an rb coach Eight year NFL veteran himself as a running back, Chiefs, Dolphins, and Eagles. Uh, Mike Berkovici, offensive assistant. I recognize his name because he's a former uh, ASU quarterback who spent time on the practice squads of the Chargers and Cardinals. Yes, I still remember scouting him. Defense and special teams Marcus Robertson. Defensive backs coach, spent the last 31 seasons in the NFL, either as a player, a coach, or an administrator. He played 12 years in the NFL with the Oilers, Titans, and Seahawks franchises. Been in the league pretty much ever since in one capacity or another. Bill Davis, their linebacker coach, 27 years of coaching experience. He's worked with nine different teams. Matt Burke, the defensive line coach, 19th year of NFL coaching experience. You're you're getting a theme here. And then Greg Williams, (laughs) this guy's got to be one of my favorites. He's in charge of the cornerbacks in Arizona. He has 18 years of coaching experience, 13 years of coaching in the NFL. But my favorite thing about Greg Williams is he played in NFL Europe two seasons, the XFL for a year, and the Arena Football League for five years. He had an eight-year football career, never really played in the NFL. He was on a couple of practice squads, and he was in a couple of preseasons, the guy played professional football for eight years. Never sniffed the NFL. That guy just loves football. He just loves playing ball, and I love that
1: about him. By the way, for people that are on the audio only version and not the the YouTube version of the show, we don't mean that Greg Williams. No, it's we not mean that Greg other, Williams, <laughs> the other coach, Greg Williams, yeah. that coaches defense. Yeah, no, he's. I, uh, I bet this
0: Greg he, Williams wouldn't put his safeties like thirty year thirty yards off the line of scrimmage. <laughs>
1: Or call, oh, don't, you know, I'm don't. not even going to say, it. I'm nope, not even nope, going to say, don't do it. it. <laughs> I can only get in trouble here. Oh man. All right. Let's talk about the uh, free agency losses slash gains slash retentions. Cause the Cardinals did spend a whole lot of money. It wasn't just on Kyler Murray. They went into the off season with literally $2,100 of cap space at the beginning of the off season, had to do a whole bunch of moves to clear cap and you know generate a whole bunch of money because they knew they were trying to pay their own guys so you know they they restructured hopkins they designated jordan phillips as a june first cut which by itself freed up like 10 million so they made a whole bunch of moves to to free up money but part of them saving money to kind of keep their stars and their core together was they had to let a lot of good players walk away chase edmonds is now in miami he got six million from the Dolphins. Uh, Max Garcia is with the Giants now, uh, about 1.2. He was, he's not a starting quality interior offensive, lin- offensive lineman at this point in his career, but I do think that he could be a serviceable backup, but neither here nor there. They let him walk. Uh, Christian Kirk was obviously the big one. He's in Jacksonville now at $18 million a year. He was never going to be worth that to the Cardinals, so... That was a good decision by them. Chandler Jones, unfortunately, is now out of Arizona. He's with the Raiders at $17 million a year. I think he is well worth that amount of money. Obviously, durability is a concern with him, and it has been for a while. But when he's on the field, he is still an elite, edge-rushing talent. So uh, sucks that he had to walk away or at least go somewhere else. But they, they couldn't afford to keep everybody, and he was the odd man out. Uh, Jordan Hicks uh, is now in Minnesota, also at $5 million a year up there in Minneapolis. But with all of the money that they didn't spend on that core, or secondary layer of their core, they were able to spend a whole bunch of money on the rest of the big names they wanted to keep around. Obviously, Kyler Murray got $46 million a year. Uh, DJ Humphreys, just yesterday, the day before we were recording this, uh, got a three-year deal for well over $60 million. I think his average... Uh, his average per year is 15 million or so, but could escalate up to 22, if I recall. I haven't read the full details yet. We we don't have the full details yet as of the time of recording this, but I'm pretty sure the max he can get is 22 million a year, but the minimum is like 15, and it's all there's escalators and stuff like that. But either way, they spent a whole bunch of money to keep him in town. Um, Zach Ertz, also 10.5 million a year on his three year extension. Justin Pugh, $5 million a year. AJ Green, still around at $3.5 million a year. Actually, had a pretty nice season as like a wide receiver three, yeah. wide receiver four for them. Uh James Conner, this was another big one that I, I didn't quite expect, but he got seven million a year. If I have to choose between James Conner at seven and Chase Edmonds at six, it's close. Personally, for me, I would lean a little bit towards Chase Edmonds there, but I also acknowledge that James Conner himself is a very good running back. He's a red zone monster. They love him. They want to keep him around. I get it. They have some other young running backs that I'm pretty excited about as well, but neither here nor there. Uh, and then Andy Lee, still going, 40 years old. That's I had to shout out Andy Lee. I'm, I'm all for the old guys
0: for obvious reasons, but 40 years old playing in the NFL, I'm you know have trouble getting out of this chair after three straight podcasts and here's a guy <laughs> kicking getting you know yeah it's a million and a
1: half but Andy Lee has been doing it forever so cool to cool to see him get resigned so that was that was all just retentions and extensions by the way that, that's not even the the third party <laughs> players that they added to this roster they also brought in Will Hernandez to replace Max Garcia at roughly the same money as Max Garcia So here's my question about this.
0: Huh. Did Will Hernandez and Max Garcia, like, shake hands in whatever hub airport they connected in <laughs> as one went from being on the Cardinals to go to the Giants and the other went from the Giants to go to be on the Cardinals to play basically the same damn position.
1: Did they like pass? For the same
0: money? <laughs> Did they like pass in Charlotte or DFW or something and like, hey man, hey man, oh here's my practice stuff. It's got the, oh here's my Giants logo stuff. Okay, cool. Like because... <laughs> We got we got through that one of the chats. I was like, "Wait a minute, they traded guards for like the same money."
1: Okay. All right. And at least last year they were similar caliber yeah, of player yeah. as well.
0: So, it's just one of the very weird things that happens in an NFL offseason. And it's not weird Cardinals like we opened the show with. It's just occasionally that happens. Basically, teams swap players at the same position. Usually, there's a disparity in money or or production. This one is about levels. <laughs> it almost seems like there should be an NFL arbiter that steps in and goes, Yo, 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 don't make a move. Just, you know, switch names on the back of the jerseys or whatever, but just like keep them where they are because
1: that, that <laughs> seems gratuitous. They also brought in Daryl Williams uh, to add to that running back room, you know, be either RB2 or RB3 for them. Uh, depends on how much you like Keontae Ingram. I'm a massive Keontae Ingram fan, so I I, I see Daryl Williams as RB three. But hey, we'll see. Uh, and then last but not least, of course, there was the 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 big trade for Marquise Brown. They gave up a first round pick for Marquise Brown in a very deep receiving class. And I I get it on some level, but at the same time, you're trading for a guy that you're gonna have to pay in an exceedingly expensive receiver market that your own former player, Christian Kirk, exploded. And this guy's going to want roughly the same amount of money, whether he deserves it or not, that's what he's going to go for, that, you know, DK and Debo and all of them are getting. AJ Brown, it's like $24, 25000000 is the going rate. And you spent a first-round pick on him, so he has the leverage. You're going to have to pay him whatever he wants or else you just wasted a first-round pick. So not only are you giving up a first round pick in a very deep receiving class, but you're also going to be spending $24, 25000000 on Marquise Brown, who, by the way, has already gotten hurt. And then on the actual day he came back off of his offseason injury, because he, he had a hammy and an ankle injury like four days before camp started, came back in the first week and literally on that day got arrested for speeding at 125 miles an hour in a school zone i don't get it like at the time you and i were kind of down on the move period just because of literally everybody that was still in like you could have just drafted george pickens you didn't it even need a, first like a pick to draft it pickens. seemed
0: like a lot
1: for, it was a lot
0: it was a lot Yeah, for what marquise brown is and what he does it seemed like a lot given that yes you are gonna have to pay him And you just gave him all the leverage. Like one or the other. Like I don't mind paying him. I don't mind giving him the leverage, but I'm not going to give him the leverage and then have to pay him at the top rate. Because if he comes out and says, I'm worth twenty-four million, and you go, Hey, Marquise, like you had nine hundred yards and like six touchdowns, which would be a nice season, but not a twenty-four million dollars a year season, he can go fine let me go and you're out your first round pick which so he holds all those cards you know it when we go back to that you know Steve Kime builds one of the weirdest rosters in the NFL they do have the potential to go full smurf here with the addition of Marquise Brown you could start Marquise Brown Rondale Moore and Greg Dortch and you <laughs> it's got to be the shortest
1: wide receiver. You would either. have <laughs> all guys
0: that are like five ten or smaller playing wide receiver and just try and be super fast. Cause all those guys are super fast and just confuse the hell out of a defense by saying, no, you can't see half of them. So they're just out there running around going full speed, but an odd move. Uh, you know, you look at other wide receivers that moved in similar situations and I know it was before it exploded, but Amari Cooper, I'm always going to go back to, same thing, you knew you were gonna to have to pay him big money. They only give up a fifth though, and that's not the same amount of leverage, nor is it the same amount of draft cost, right? You're you're still gonna to have to pay Amari a lot of money, but in that case, like, why do you go with a first when you could have just, as you said, drafted a highly thought of wide receiver in a very deep class for a lot less money, and you get both things. You kind of save your pick, and you save your cap for the next two or three years. Instead, they give up both the pick
1: and the cap, and you're like, mm, "Okay." Because I mean, looking at um, looking at all the receivers that were available at the point where Arizona was picking. Yeah, I mean, Christian Watson was there. Sure. Uh, again, George Pickens, Sky Moore. Who's having an unbelievable training yeah. camp? Alec Pierce. I'm not advocating for Alec Pierce like that high, but I could have definitely seen Sky Moore going that high. Yeah. In you know, and um, even if you just trade down and use one of those early second round picks to get again either Watson or Pickens or Moore or Pierce, fucking Tyquan Thornton, whoever, and, and they're not going to cost 24 million, and that's could the killer. theoretically do the same thing.
0: I i don't know yeah it's an odd move but then again talked about at the top that arizona likes to make a lot of odd moves in terms of roster building uh and they will continue to do so and and kime has that backing uh of bidwells he has been there a long time and been making odd moves for a long time and has been able to survive uh doing that so they obviously don't dislike it but it does put together a very strange roster in certain cases
1: Beyond the first round pick, though, after that Hollywood Brown trade, I did feel at least that Kime acquitted himself well with all of the other picks. Uh, I felt, especially their first four to five picks, you know, after the first round, rounds two through six, he did a fantastic job and he even got a couple guys late in round seven that I thought could have gone significantly higher than they did so the draft itself if we're just including Marquise Brown as their first round pick their draft itself was very very good Uh, I just I wish not even wish I just think that it might have been even more fruitful if they just approached that first pick differently right down the line with the picks that they did
0: have there's eight picks here. I really like seven of them. That's a tremendous draft. And like you said, no first round pick. So they had a round two, two round threes, two round sixes, and three round sevens. So the bulk of their draft after the first three picks, two, three, and three were six, six, seven, seven, seven. To come out of a draft where the Again, the majority of your picks are round six or lower, and have this lineup of guys. It's a very good year to try and do that because there were so many guys in the draft. He still hit it. Like Kime did a very nice job with this draft. So, round two, pick 55, Trey McBride, the tight end from Colorado State. I think he's a great 2A tight end. He was my TE1 in this class. Play as hard as hell. He's a team captain. I think he's more of a receiving threat than a lot of people did, and he is a nasty blocker. He will take your head off. Round three, pick 87, Cam Thomas, the DE from San Diego State. We both love him. Uh, We love his production. We love his hand use, his technical savvy, his power. I think he's going to play for a long time in the NFL. Great grab by Cam. Second pick in round three, pick 100, MyJ Sanders, the defensive end from Cincinnati, who had a really up-and-down draft season. He's not uh, a prototype shape for a defensive end. He's long and rangy, but he's really effective. Um, He's had that body his whole career. Uh, He will bulk up and add a little bit, but... Even the way it was in Cincinnati, he has a knack for getting into the backfield and wrecking things. Not always a quarterback. Sometimes it's grabbing the running back for a TFL. Um, Really interesting player. Want to see how they deploy him because that's the other thing about Arizona draft picks. They don't always end up necessarily in the spots you think they will or should. But my Jay Sanders, really talented player. Then we drop all the way from that pick 100 to pick 201. We take a 101 pick break before they get Keontae Ingram the running back from USC who you really like I thought he was good um liked his tape runs really hard got to see him at the Shrine Bowl came away more impressed uh if you're gonna get running backs and stack them sixth round is a great place to do it Keontae Ingram honestly I don't think probably should have been available in the sixth but he was and kind of took advantage second round six pick number 215, LaCita Smith, the guard from Virginia Tech. I like LaCita Smith a lot. He is a powerhouse. He will move you. He's a load. He's got heavy hands. Not necessarily the most mobile on outside zone type runs, but will run you over uh, with ease. And again, I'm surprised he was there in round six Round seven, pick 244, Christian Matthew, the cornerback out of Valdosta State, the only pick I mentioned. I like seven out of eight. Wasn't super familiar with Christian Matthew, Valdosta State, not a huge school. Didn't end up scouting him. Was kind of like, eh, it's not that this is not anti-Christian Matthew. This is an I don't know. Second pick in round seven, 256 overall, Jesse Lucada, the linebacker from Penn State, who is a physical marvel, will be an automatic, Special teams ace for them, and may move into a more base role on defense. He has the physical capacity. We got to see if he can do a few more things in his game. But he is one of those Penn State physical marvels that will blow people up when he gets there. He'll leave a mark. So that's mm-hmm. instant special teams impact, uh, pun intended. And one pick later, their last pick, round seven, pick two fifty-seven, Marquise Haynes guard from Oklahoma who I was also a little bit surprised lasted that long. He had been much higher up in sort of pre-draft circles, talked about in round, late round four, round five. The fact that he was there in round seven, uh, he's a little bit like Lysita Smith for me, similar types of players. So they sort of identified that and honed in on it. It's not like he brings a range of different skills. It's like they got two of the same one, but they're both really good players. So overall, Again, doing all that work with the majority of sixth and seventh round picks, Steve Kahn did a really good job.
1: I do want to hit on Keontae Ingram because he was one of my favorite running backs in this class. I compared him to Kareem Hunt. When you watch them run on tape, they he looks like a dead ringer for Kareem Hunt. He's a fantastic running back. Uh now he was a little bit older, you know, had a bunch, of, you know, little little bit of wear on the on the tread there as a prospect so I can understand uh you know maybe him slipping a little bit but I did not think that 6th round was appropriate for what what you saw him do on the field at USC um he was fantastic that being said there's been a little bit of uh intrigue at the running back position for this team because Eno you know, Benjamin speaking of bootleg favorites uh we saw him uh, at the senior bowl in 2020 Right before we started this podcast, we were both there watching Eno, and that was Mobile, right? 2020? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, everything is a blur when it yeah, comes to all games at this point. Hardcore smooth brain. um But we loved Eno when he was coming out, and he he has been the talk of the Cardinals' offseason. It's just been Eno hype, like all gas, no breaks, the entire offseason. Now, Darrell Williams' contract makes him basically uncountable, not that I think he should be, but he's going to be there. You don't pay him the money you're paying him, that's all guaranteed without him being there. So the last running back spot comes down to Keonta Ingram and probably Jonathan Ward, just looking at the depth chart. I like Jonathan Ward, but I really like Keonta Ingram. Some people think that Ward is going to beat out Ingram. I personally would be surprised by that. What I do know is this. Whichever one doesn't make it is going to get a job immediately in the league. Because there are some running back groups around the NFL that are very thin. I look at Houston as an example. If Jyanta Ingram somehow ends up getting cut, he will be a Texan within 12 hours. Because they need a guy like him. Plus, he's a Texas kid. But I just, I really, really love that pick. And I don't think that they would take him, knowing that they're running back room is deep I don't think that they would take him at that spot without there being an available job so I think he is going to make it I just want to clarify the running back situation for people listening to this because I know that there has been a lot of debate about who actually is going to be you know the final four that they carry whether it's going to be Ward or or Keontae I think it'll be Keontae now uh, Cameron Thomas he has really really big shoes to fill because obviously Chandler Jones no longer there There's a bunch of available snaps in their edge rotation. Because right now they got Marcus Golden. um, And they got, let's see, Gardick is probably going to back up Golden. So, opposite of Golden, you got uh, Devon Kennard. And then behind him, you got Dennis Gardick. uh, And then you got MyJ Sanders as well, who they also drafted as a rookie. So, there's five guys competing for snaps here. But I truly think that Cameron Thomas could be the most productive out of all of them. He was a vastly underrated player in this class. The only reason he went in the third round was because of injury. I think he got through one drill at the combine and popped a hammy and then couldn't do anything else. But based on verified times from before the combine, he was probably going to put up a very impressive performance, and especially in the three-cone. Uh there were rumors that he was like a six seven, six eight, three cone kind of guy, which at his size is scary. So I I kind of saw him as a I don't even want to say or I'm I'm not even gonna say like Walmart Aiden Hutchinson because that's an insult. I think he was a diet Aiden Hutchinson. Like he's really not that far off what Aiden Hutchinson gives you. I think Aiden's a little bit more powerful, but in terms of cornering ability. You know, really, really good hands. Obviously, the motor is just insane. I think that he is a lot closer to Aiden Hutchinson than people think. And I think the the pressure totals that he had his last year in college tell that story as well. He had a billion pressures. He was one of the most productive pass rushers in the entire country at any level. So I think that Cam Thomas, he does obviously have his work cut out for him. Marcus Golden's a good player. Kennard's a good player. Gardick is extremely productive somehow. He always has been since he got in the league. But in terms of ceiling, I think Cam Thomas is going to be their next guy. And I know he's a third-round pick. Trust me, he is far better than a third-round talent. He should have gone a lot earlier than that. And were it not for injury, I truly believe he would have. A great haul,
0: Mike. I'm needed, uh, especially with limited ammunition. If you told me that he was going to pull that list of players with that level of picks pre-draft, I probably would have looked at you quite sideways. I don't think I would have believed that all those players would end up on Arizona's roster if you told me that the majority of their picks were in the 6th and 7th round. I would have been like, okay, well, that's nice, but that person, quote-unquote, not going to be there. Very deep draft this year. Kind benefits, and therefore the Cardinals benefit. As far as UDFAs, they brought in a decent amount of UDFAs. In fact, a lot of running backs to fill that running back room, which was already fairly full. Ronnie Rivers, running back from Fresno State, the first one I want to talk about. He is a mighty might. He is short but powerful and... Um, going to have trouble cracking that room might bounce around the league a little bit as a practice squad guy, but I bet he gets an NFL job before too long. I actually like TJ Pledger too from Utah who I didn't highlight because he didn't stick. He's already gone. Um, He was a camp invite didn't last. And then the other one I really want to talk about is Darrell Baker jr. The cornerback from Georgia Southern Darrell Baker, I think has a future with the Cardinals. Uh, he's got good size. He's physical He played, you know, not necessarily at a smaller school, but a less high-profile school, let's put it that way. He had plenty of pre-draft buzz. I don't know why he didn't get drafted. Yes, there was a lot of depth at cornerback in this draft. Yes, there were just a lot of players overall. I would have bet he was borderline for me, but I would have bet somebody would have picked him up because it's not just a height, weight, speed thing with him. He's a good player at corner, which is why I think he'll eventually stick with the Cardinals. So only a couple of highlights for me out of this UDFA group, but was happy to see that they brought a lot in um, game tryouts. A little odd that they brought in a bunch of extra running back depth with an already sort of crowded running back room based on who they brought in in free agency and the draft itself. But, I'm never gonna never gonna look side visit a team that brings in a bunch of people because I believe strongly in the UDFA process, and who knows they might pull other ones out of
1: here as well. I hundred percent mimic your bewilderment that Daryl Baker wasn't drafted because how often does a six one corner with a forty one and a half inch vert and eleven four broad go undrafted? Something happened. I don't know what it is but to the cardinals benefit he's there. He is probably the most physically gifted corner on the roster. And that's saying something cuz Byron Murphy is a really good athlete himself. Uh Marco Wilson. Marco Wilson is a great athlete, pretty good himself. athlete too, yeah. But Darryl Baker's like top 1% of the top 1% in terms of athletic just ridiculously athletic DB prospects. So something happened there. Not going to speculate on on what but good for the Cardinals for getting him because in terms of you know, balls of clay that you can mold, it really, really does not get better than that. Um, and by the way, this secondary, not to get off on a tangent, pretty underrated, I would say, in terms of talent, like just raw talent. Marco Wilson, Jalen Thompson, Buda Baker, Byron Murphy, obviously really, really good nickel. Um, Antonio Hamilton at the other corner spot is really the only kind of, you know, yeah. maybe... But if daryl baker, if they can develop him, considering the level of athlete that he is, if they can refine him and develop him into you know his maximum potential, this might be i mean maybe the fastest secondary in the league, and that's saying a lot
0: i'm I'm with you that it's sort of four out of five. <laughs> you look at the top four and you're like, man, that's that's." that's really good. And you look at the last one, and you're like, well, they could use one more. So, but they have a lot of players. It's not like they're short players that could fit in that last spot. They've got five guys that could potentially, you know, be fighting for that spot. I think Antonio Hamilton's probably got the inside track, but that doesn't mean that, you know, a month from now, three months from now that, you know, some of those other guys haven't risen up. And overall, yeah, there's a lot of secondaries in the league that have one guy that's not, quote-unquote, the guy. and but, Most
1: of them do, actually. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, everybody's got one, it seems like. But the other four that are there, really good. I think a lot of people sleep on Jalen Thompson. Marco Wilson was a revelation as a rookie. Buddha everybody knows about. And then Byron Murphy, you know, sort of coming back, getting a second act – in- interestingly assembled secondary but pff, okay I'll
1: I'll take it now final segment team floor team ceiling this is our projected best possible ceiling in terms of win total and our lowest possible floor as well in terms of win total i thought i had a pretty large range for the niners and it's even larger for the cardinals i have a 12 win ceiling because when all their talent is healthy and everything's hitting on all cylinders, they are a very hard team to beat. Just look at the first half of last year. Very, very, very hard team to beat. I also have a seven-win floor, because if the second-half Cardinals show up for a significant portion of the season, which, considering that DeAndre Hopkins is out for the first six games, and who knows what's going to happen with Hollywood, and this team is not very good at staying healthy to begin with, let alone already being down their number one receiver for a third of the year. The bottom could come out fairly quickly. And I think that their bottom is seven. Now, they are never going to be a bad, bad team. They just can't. Kyler, for all of his flaws, is still a very good quarterback. And I do think that they still have a ton of talent on the team. I can't ever see them being, you know, under seven wins and, you know, being somewhere in the top 10 to 12 picks. That would stun me. But I also have an exceedingly large range of possibilities here because this is such a weird team and you never know what you're going to get. Like, we we talk about the Chargers being able to beat anyone and lose to anyone. The Cardinals are the exact same way. And I truly just don't know what to make of them.
0: I matched your floor at seven wins because there are... Lots of cracks that could show up in the armor. D. Hop not being there to start the year, that's a big deal for them. They count on him for a lot, and a slow start could doom them. It's a tough division. Kyler, you mentioned it when we were talking about him, is not the most resistant to injury. You just have to go back, you know, two years ago, he got his shoulder pushed in, and it affected him for the rest of the season. He was not the same in the second half. He played through it, tough as nails but he was not the same guy. He couldn't throw the ball the same way. it just took probably a third out of his game in terms of being dangerous. So he's got to stay healthy and he's he's a little guy. These are very big players flying around at very fast speeds and if he takes a bad hit, seven is where they could end up. Below that I'm with you I don't think so. Too many other good players on the team, good coaching staff. My ceiling is one below yours at 11. One, because it's a tough division. Two, because they're going to have to prove to me that that second half slide can be overcome because it's not a one-year thing. It's not a two-year thing. It's not a three-year thing with Cliff. This is his whole coaching career. The first half has looked really good. Second half has looked really flat. Show me something. Do something. Use more motion. Uh, Put D-hop in the slot. Be consistent about being inconsistent in the second half. So people can't just line up and tee off on you. They do have to stay healthy. Uh, we just talked about the secondary, but it goes for other areas of the team as well. Running back, we talked about, is being really, really deep. There are lots of other position groups on this team that are not that deep. And if they suffer a couple of key injuries, they're going to get into reserves and it's going to be hard to win games. So I've got an 11-win ceiling, a 7-win floor, super exciting. If Murray's firing on all cylinders and Cliff makes some adjustments in the second half, this could be the team that's contesting the division lead pretty easily. They could also be the team that's in the cellar of the division and looking at pretty much wholesale change, uh, certainly from the coaching front at the end of the year, because if you have another year where you start hot, and go on a big slide in the second half, it's going to be really hard to bring Cliff back. Didn't they just give him an extension? I know, I think, but actually, you, you know, know what happens. They did. You know what happens to coaching money when the tide turns against the team, right? And same thing. If they race out to like six wins and
1: two losses, and then when one out of the next eight, I don't know, man, because they extended Kingsbury and Kime through 2027. I don't know. I if know they handcuffed eat that.
0: Them. Yeah, I saw that they did it together, and I was like, "Well, I guess you're going to keep getting what you're getting at this point, and I hope it
1: gets better." I don't know. I just I don't. I, Bidwell has the money to basically just. Again, we're we're not thinking that this is going to happen. We're not no. expecting them to oh. fall apart. But if they do, obviously there would be questions because that would be how many years in a row um and he could keep time and
0: let cliff go it's not one of those things where he has to ditch both of them and i actually think he would now i'm not saying that's the right thing to do i'm saying i could see that happening whereas other franchises i was like nope they're both going like the giants with you know gettleman and judge i was like no they're they're not going to keep one of those guys that's a full sweep i could see him saying well Time did a really good job with the draft and Cliff just wasn't able to maximize it on the field. Like it's probably not the right answer, but I could see it happening and it would be very expensive at this point. It would be
1: extremely expensive, (laughs) (laughs) but Hey, I mean, this is the same franchise that literally right before cliff uh, Steve Wilkes got one year, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not like completely out of the ordinary for them to Rosen got one year, which was also
0: expensive. So it's not, unheard of but uh, you know that's not the outcome we're looking for that's not the outcome we're hoping for we would we love, hope
1: it works out yeah we would love
0: to see kyler playing at an elite level and cliff to overcome that and then f- for them to make a deep run it would be a fascinating study of getting there a different way
1: <sighs> what a weird team <laughs> they're yes. a good team but a weird team god yes anyway uh tomorrow we only have one more team left in this series And that is the Los Angeles Rams defending uh, not just division champions, but Super Bowl champions. And then remember on Friday, we have our last macro division uh, prediction show. We're going to be predicting, you know, MVP for the division, offensive, defensive player of the year, rookie of the year, coach of the year, division winner. This is a very hard division to pick a winner for because at least three of these teams are capable of 12 plus wins. I imagine we're going to be talking quite a bit more Cardinals because they have great players that could easily win any of those awards as well. So if you're a Cardinals fan, you want to hear our division predictions, come back on Friday for that. Uh, And if you're somebody who's stuck through every single episode of this series, first of all, thank you. Second of all, we got one more team preview to go. I cannot believe we're here, but we're here. One more to go, EJ. So we'll be back here tomorrow. Same time, same place for the L.A. Rams to cap this thing off. And until then, later. Take care. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered Internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So, whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, go! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at Cox.com/internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability, as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H 2023. Results may vary. Not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.